0: If God were to come to earth, you know, what would you expect God to do or say while he was here? Now, you suspend your Christian belief for a second. Just think about it from, you know, somebody who's just kind of thinking about God. You know, um, if, if God were to, to come, what would that be like? Well, first of all, God would have to take some form that wouldn't just vaporize you on contact or, you know, wipe you out in the fire of his... Uh, greatness and holiness and that sort of thing. So, God would have to take some form that's understandable or knowable. At some point, I would think God would want to reveal himself. Hey, I'm here. Um, you'd have to prove that, being in a form that was less than fully God, but, you know, uh, but in some form that's understandable, uh, to, uh, to do some things that would prove that. Maybe control over nature or defying the laws of, of physics and um, doing things that are, are just miraculous. And so, and then I would expect that God might declare some things, or teach some things, um, or to describe what life is all about, or even just the world. You know, if if this God were to say, "Hey, how do you like you know being made up of atoms and molecules? That's pretty cool, huh?" And how's gravity working out? You know, you notice that this planet, you're not being crushed by the gravity of this planet, nor are you floating away. It seems like it's kind of tuned just right for you, but not, uh, but more so because I don't think this God would even know that we'd understand all these uh, things of, of the physical world, but say, hey, th- th- this, is, um, this is how your world is broken. This is the, the mess you've made of the world, and um, I want to show you how to live, how to really be human, how to, how to fix a world that is broken, and give the power to actually do that. So as Christians, of course, we, don't, we, we can take this kind of a speculation and say, well, God did come. We, we did see what he did, and, and we, we look at Jesus. We don't have to speculate about what God would do when he would come to this earth. And yet, with my understanding of that, it still blows my mind that the God of the universe came to this earth and did this. This is what he did. The God of the universe, all-powerful, takes, off the, t- take on, takes on human form, takes off outer garments, puts a towel around his waist, and washed the dirt and the grime off the feet of his followers. That's what the God of the universe did here on this planet. And we're going to take a look at this today, obviously. We, uh, we're we resuming our journey through the Gospel of John, a journey we began uh, this fall, for those of you who are around. And we're going to focus these next week just just on chapters 13 through 17. It's a, uh, a part of the Gospel of John, part of the Scriptures that we refer to as the Upper Room Discourse, and uh, just, this is Jesus uh, really at the end of his ministry, at the end of his earthly ministry, and he's these are really his last teachings and his last words to his followers. And in it, we see how much, just how much Jesus loves his followers, how much he wants them to be equipped to live in this world, to be ready for his departure for you to see how badly he wants them to live a fruitful and good life the way that God intended life to be lived and that's what Jesus wants and that's what we're going to see in these teachings and here in the first part of this teaching um, Jesus we see the fullness of his love knowing his divine power and yet he washes his disciples feet and he tells them now that I have done this I have set you an example you should I have washed your feet now you should wash one another's feet. So washing filthy feet, that's what the God of the universe did, and that's what he's called us to do for one another. And of course, with many things that Jesus did and said, there's a deeper meaning to his washing their feet, and there's also a deeper meaning to us washing one another's feet. And I just want to look at those deeper meanings as we, as we look at this text. But let's pray as we begin. So Father, we do thank you for the beauty of, of uh, this day. And that this is a world uh, which you came to, to show your kingdom, to show your love, to show your saving work. And we want to know and experience that in deeper ways. And so, Lord, may your word teach us uh, to, understand, to understand your way and understand you and experience you in this world. So we give ourselves to you. We give this time to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First, the deeper meaning of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. I mean, it was certainly just a beautiful and humble act, a very very low but loving act. Verse 1 tells us, you know, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I mean, this is the culmination of a ministry of love to the world and to his disciples. And he's loving them and serving them right to the end. And in verse 2, we see that the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So we see the beauty and the love of Jesus and we see the ugliness of Satan and of sin and of brokenness as these things side by side in the ministry of Jesus, uh, both his love and the ugliness of the work of the devil. And it's just so beautifully written and presented to us, which makes me step back a second and say, wait a minute, Gospel of John, this is at the Passover, this is the Last Supper, and John says nothing about communion, about the Lord's Supper. He says nothing about Jesus breaking bread and saying, this is my body, nothing about wine, this is my blood poured for you. He's the only one. So of the four gospel accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we call those the synoptic gospels, they all in this moment say, this is what Jesus did. He took the bread, he took the cup. And John doesn't say a word about it. And you say, come on, John, you were there. You're, you were writing after these other folks. We, we presume that this came later. And why did you leave this out? It's just so obvious, by, almost by its absence. Of course, John has already talked about, remember back in chapter 6, Jesus was saying to the fo- his followers, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part in me. He's already done like the flesh and the blood thing. So maybe John thinks that's already covered enough. But, but man, it, what I think is going on here, what I believe fully, is that this is very intentional, that John wants us to see that the, the communion meal is missing, uh, but Jesus did something that was, that was just as great and something that is just to be repeated just as much. And so here in verse 3, it's just, it, it's, it continues here. Uh, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power that he had come from God, he was returning to God. Jesus knows his, divi- his divine nature. He knows his, his equality of, of God. He knows his divine power. And here, with his knowledge of who he is and his power, this is what he does. In verse 4, he gets up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. waist verse 5, after that, he poured water into a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet. Drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Just profound that Jesus would take on the lowest, the role of the lowest of the low servants of his day to do such a menial task as an act of love. But not only is it an act and a display of love, but it really mirrors his whole ministry. That not only did Jesus do this, but Jesus took off his heavenly garments. To walk this earth in human flesh and to provide a way to cleanse his followers ultimately by giving his life on the cross. and that's how Jesus came to serve, but it does show it shows a, a greater cleansing, and we see this really in verses seven and eight uh, where in, in Peter's protest, you know, actually in verse seven where Jesus said, you're going to understand this later. This will make more sense to you later. But in verse 8, Peter said, no, you know, you should never wash my feet. You know, Peter already has recognized Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ, the anointed one, the one who was to come. And, and, you know, you should not be serving me. You should not be doing this thing for me. But Jesus says, unless I wash you, Peter, you have no part in me. Jesus reminding, this, the cleansing that I'm going to bring you, you, have, you cannot do it for yourself. I must serve you. I must cleanse you. And we understand, you know, as Jesus then just really hours later goes to the cross and gives his life, and we know that ultimately it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us, the blood of Jesus that truly purifies our sin, where he dies in our place. And he, we have to receive that. We have to be served by one who is greater than us to receive it. And here he tells Peter that. Peter doesn't totally um, understand that. It's hard to receive help from people. When we feel very self-sufficient, we want to provide for our families. We want to provide for other people. And there comes those times in our lives where we need to be served. where Because you're sick or because you're in need, you need to be fed. You need to be cared for. You need support. And that's hard for, for, for us. And here you know peter seeing christ want to serve him and needing to serve him and so you know so peter of course in a very peter fashion um, said okay well, if that's the case then wash head to toe the whole thing wash me and jesus said no just your feet i will wash your feet you will be clean not all of you here are clean there was of course judas who was who had not received that cleansing grace of jesus but it's it's all about As much as we see how great God is and how broken we are in our own sin, our own failure, our own falling short, we cannot fix it ourselves. We must have the grace of God. We must have his cleansing, his washing in our lives. And Jesus is uh, both doing this, physically demonstrating it, but it's pointing to that ultimate need we have of what he did on the cross. So it's just a deeper uh, meaning. It's all about his saving grace. But there's a deeper meaning for us too and what Jesus tells us to do with this, because in verse 14, he says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you, as verse 15 says. And so, again, it's, it's deeper than just washing each other's feet, because we don't, we don't literally wash each other's feet very often. Although we have done that as a church, we've had different... Uh, retreat experiences, and we've had on occasion. We'll have a ceremony where we'll actually wash each other's feet. But I think we one of the reasons we don't do that is because culturally it's lost some of its um, force. You know, because I mean, most of you have probably a pretty clean feet. Um, you take care of your feet. Some of you might actually have quite like cute feet where you paint your toenails and you've done the thing or you go to someone who does that for you and and um, your feet probably don't smell all that bad. Some of you probably terrible and I you know but I won't I don't want much to do with any of your feet. But my point is culturally it wouldn't be nearly as bad of an experience as what Jesus had done to um, to take that to, to go that low to, to to be that humble to serve in this way. But it What Jesus is doing, it's not that we're to literally wash each other's feet, but we're to have that mindset of humility and of service. And Philippians chapter 2, I think, summarizes this the best of anywhere in Scripture. Uh, Some some of the greatest verses. Philippians 2, 5, hear these words. It says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he humbled himself. He made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Not only by serving in this way, but by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's what this is all about. It's a mindset following our Lord Jesus who humbled himself all the way to wash feet and to take the lowest position. And ultimately that foreshadows giving his life on the cross. So we are to be people who... In the context in Philippians, it says, you know, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Don't do things out of your own selfish ambition or your own vain pursuits. You know, that's, now that's a New Year's resolution if you're looking for one. So if people ask you, you can say, hey, you know, what are your New Year's resolutions? You can say, yeah, I want to drop a few pounds and I want to uh, sleep better and I want to rid myself of all selfish ambition and self-interest. So that, that might start a conversation. But as we follow the way of Jesus, we actually become more human. This is very humanizing kind of work. It looks menial. It looks, when we serve and we humble ourselves, it seems like we're making ourselves left. We're actually becoming more human. Jesus, remember, God takes on human flesh, and he does this act. And in doing so, he's showing us perfect humanity. And so many times in our world, we don't look to the interests of others. We don't see the humanity in other people. Um, you know, we we live in a, we live in a world that's so political and partisan. And I mentioned the other week that you know, of course, it's an election year, and that I'm not looking forward to that. Not because I don't think we need to work on these things or that we should be doing better. It's 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 because because we live in such a partisan world and when we start to look at one another through, the, through political lenses, uh, we, it's easy to get very tribal about that and it's easy to see the other person as a set of ideas that are the problem and seeing other people as the enemy and when you see another person as an enemy, it's easy to dehumanize them and when you dehumanize someone, it's easy to demonize them and instead of demonizing people and dehumanizing people, what if we just look at other people and look at them as humans who have dirt on their feet who we could wash and we could serve. And that's what it truly means to be human because that's what Jesus did. And that's what we're called to do, to love and to serve our fellow man. This requires immense humility in a world that does not operate naturally on humility apart from Christ. I mean, look what's going on at this meal. Again, the Gospel of John doesn't tell us, but if we go to the Gospel of Luke chapter 22, verse 24, this is what's going on at that same meal. It says, a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be considered the greatest. So what Jesus did was in contrast to these disciples who know that Jesus is God. They know that he's the Messiah. They've seen all the miracles. They've seen his kingdom unfolding. And they said, hey, we're going to be part of this big, powerful thing. And Jesus said, you know what it's going to look like? It's going to look like you doing what I'm about to do for you. And he washes his feet. But we live in a world where, where we and others around us seek to grab power, to get ahead, to get ahead of our neighbors, to get ahead in our career, to... to to gain and to be successful. And Jesus flips all these things upside down. And the early followers of Jesus understood it. They really did. The early followers of Jesus had no power. They had no political power. They did not set the interest rate. They did not um, run the economy. They didn't uh, make the laws. They had no power like that. What they did was they took the little bit that they had, they shared it with one another, they served one another, and they served their community, the sick they, they cared for uh, widows and orphans and abandoned infants, and they, they did these things, and they changed the world. They changed the whole world around them through this type of greatness. There is only one type of greatness. It's the way of serving. It's a way of humility. That's what, that's what it means to follow Jesus. So we serve. That's what we do. It's because that's what God did. That's what God showed us. And we follow in this way. And there's so many ways to serve uh, of giving of our time, giving of our money, giving of our um, just listening to people and praying for people or teaching or feeding or uh, fixing things and shoveling snow and all the ways that we can serve. And, but I just, I know that some of the times when we serve, we go, we, God is calling us to go to places that are low, places that are not clean, to take the lowest place of service. And I, I was really compelled this week when I was thinking about this, about our, uh, the Merrimack Valley Dream Center. And the bridge ministry, which is part of that, and I was talking to uh, Carolyn Hansen about this, and I would have, she wasn 't able to be here today, but she would have loved to be here to share about this. Um, but again, this is these are folks who gather to serve so so Dream Center is a ministry. they have a bunch of different arms. they have a feeding ministry and a food truck, they have mobile hygiene and showers. And they've got uh, recovery programs. They've got all kinds of wonderful stuff going on. But it really started as this bridge ministry, which was uh, serving homeless folks under the bridge in Lawrence. And now it's, it's sort of moved as, as some of these encampments of people move. But these are, in some ways, people who could be viewed as some of the lowest in our community. They have no home. They often are without hope. They've Many have made decisions in their lives, which has alienated them from from their families and, and, and from other relationships and there's a lot of hopelessness and there's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of addiction, there's a lot of mental health issues and and our teams go out and they just love and serve and they they bring food and they bring practical things, hats and uh, blankets and socks and other things and um, they, they do these things and They go to these people, and perhaps in their lives, some of these people have made some mistakes, but God does not make mistakes. Their lives are not mistakes. And this team goes to bring the hope and the love of God to people who are in a very, very low place. That these are human beings that God knows and loves. And they're there, you know, not just to share food, although they do that, not just to share stuff, they do that, but this is their prayer. And then Carolyn shared this prayer that they pray every time they do this ministry. This is the prayer. They say, Lord, when those who receive these lunches touch our hands, may they feel yours. When they hear our voice, may they hear yours. When they see our love, may they feel yours. And Carolyn said, you know, week after week when she started doing this, there was all these, um, all these folks who they were ministering to in these places. And she said, it was the faces became faces with names. And over the weeks, the names also had stories. And once the names became stories, she realized that these are folks who God cares about just as much as they care about her. That Jesus died to save people like this just as much as Jesus died for you or for me. And when they take time in a place of just filth and squalor and under a bridge, that becomes a holy place because God is there and his hope and his love is there for the people. When I think about Jesus taking the lowest place of service, I think of people who do stuff like this. And I say, praise God, they're following in the way of their, their Lord. Now, as, a, as a, uh, a plug, they could use more volunteers, especially heading in winter months. It can be uh, harder. Uh, this is not for everybody. It's, um, sometimes people will go and check it out, and it's just they know it's not for them. And that's fine if you check it out and it's not for you. It really is a calling, and the Lord may or may not put that on your heart. Uh, it's not the cleanest place. It's often cold. It can be dirty. There's people who are addicted. It's, there's not always happy endings to the story. P- sometimes people don't find hope, and they f- fall further into, um, into addiction. Some even succumb to these things. But there is goodness in it. There's hope that's being shared. There's gratitude that's exchanged um, as fellow humans care for one another. So if I could connect you with the folks with Carolyn uh, or Ingrid or Lisa or those who are who are regular who could tell you more about what Dream Center is doing, and uh, especially that the bridge part of that ministry. Um, but I just encourage everybody to consider a place. How do how are we going to follow Jesus to wash feet, to serve, to go to take that low place? And we again, service is not just something that happens through ministries like this. It's not just doesn't just happen in the building, you know, teaching children. And those are beautiful ways to serve. But service starts um, in your home. It, it, you take it with you to work, the way that you work, how you interact with your coworkers, if you're a student, how you um, connect at school. There's all different ways that we live a life of service. It's not just when we're at church or when we're with the ministry. How we live in our neighborhoods. This is all frontline ministry. Uh, but really, at the end of the day, what we have is, is an example of Christ and a call to follow in his way. Honestly, you could explain your whole faith just with John chapter 13 and probably Philippians 2 I'd put with it. But if somebody were to say to you, hey, why, what, what is it? You're a, you're a Christian. You're a follower of Jesus. And people have all these preconceived notions about what are people of faith are like um, so your morality, your, you know, American Christians, what you're like or how they've sort of stereotyped you. But if somebody were really to ask you, what is this following Jesus thing all about? What, what is it for you? For me, I would say, look, I believe that the God of the universe came to this world. And one time he was eating a meal and he took off his clothes and washed the grimy, dirty feet of his followers. And he said, I'm the God of the universe, I'm your Lord, I'm your teacher, and this is what I've done. Now you're going to live this way of life. And he showed us a new way of life. And not only that, but he later went on to serve ultimately by giving his life so that that we can experience true freedom, a clear conscience, a a cleansing of, of all of our sin and all of our brokenness. And he did that for us. And he said, now you're going to, the way to live life is that you're going to live this way of serving others of humbling yourself, and that's what we do. So whatever you think about me or my morality or whatever I believe or what it means to be a person of faith, that's kind of what this is all about, that God did that, and that's what he's called us to do. So with that, I just want to close, and sort of as our closing prayer here, I just want to read this, again, this section from Philippians chapter 2, which really, um, I think, in just beautiful words reminds us how we are to live in light of this. So if you'll just bow your heads, or if, it, if you want to just look out the window and see the snow fall as I read God's word, but let's close with these words from Philippians chapter 2. It says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit but rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant